Hello and welcome to Librarians Allowed, an independent podcast presented by the Academic and Special Libraries section of the Library Association of Ireland. I'm your host, Laura Rooney-Ferris. And first off, apologies for the long radio silence, um, but here at Librarians Allowed, one of our chief weapons is the element of surprise. We're just a little bit less capable with the ruthless efficiency. So after such a long wait, this is an extra long episode. My guest for this episode is Aoife Connolly. Aoife is a senior manager for PwC's Global Tax and Networks Markets, and her journey as an information professional has uh, brought her from accountancy to corporate information services and content management. She's also the former treasurer of the ANSL committee, and she's the founder of Librarian Links. So this is an in-depth chat about her information professional journey. So grab your snacks, uh, sit back, relax and enjoy. much for joining me. Thank you, Laura. And um, you're the currently uh, PwC's Global Tax Networks and Market Senior Manager. So this is very much going to be a story of the the non-traditional Absolutely, and I'm very happy to take that title and run with it. <laughs> Great. Um, so do you want to talk maybe a little bit about your, your current role? Sure. And then we'll go back to yeah. how you ended up okay. there. Well, and, and, and it's kind of interesting because I know it came up recently in an InfoProNet question that they had out on Twitter where they were trying to get the names and the titles of people. And I did respond to that, and I was trying to think there, trying to find in my Twitter feed, but I can't with the new Twitter, um, find out what I actually said. But I know at the heart of it was the fact that I kind of stay, not consciously stay away but don't try and label it I'm more about what I do rather than what I am and that's really been formatting for what I do at the moment or since I took on this role like five years ago now but it's in a nutshell what it is it's about content and collaboration so yes I work work for PwC I work for one of their groups or the, the networks which is the global tax and markets networks um, and I, in a nutshell, manage their content and involved in collaboration of various different projects that they have. And when I say manage their content, it's primarily internal content. So in a sense, I'm working a lot electronically, but dealing with people at the same time. And that's kind of what I do, if that answers that correctly, okay. <laughs> in and around. But I, when I try to explain a project, that maybe makes it a bit more real. But mm. um, obviously, I can't go into lots of detail on what we do internally for PwC, because it's proprietary. But in the essence, my, my role, which I know will come to a, um, later on, has developed over time. And it's landed me to where I am now. So I am a sum of my parts, as they say. Yes, very good. Yeah, that's a very <laughs> good way of putting it. I like to, to say that too. I think we all are, aren't we? Um, so what was the first step? You started off, you have a background in accountancy. Oh, yes. And so what's the journey there that took you from okay. accountancy into the information profession? Right, well, I'm, I'm quite happy to say that I'm actually 25 years with the firm this year. Oh. So I joined Craig Gardner Pricewaterhouse in the June of 92. And uh, that stemmed from sending out um, a whole load of CPs the day before the massive postal strike of April 92. Mm, good timing. Um, really good timing <laughs> and getting only a certain amount of replies. But what got me to that point was I did my leaving cert in, in 1990 and I was sort of relatively young. I was like 17. And I, I've never had a problem pu- putting up my hand or shouting out when I don't know something. So um, I had no idea what I wanted to do. I had 
lots of ideas of, of what I didn't want to do, if that makes sense, but no idea what I wanted to do. I and think more people are like that, that, yeah, that come straight out of leaving circle. That's this it. is what I want to do, and I'm going to just make a beeline straight for it now. And the thing is, what was interesting as well was the fact, like, I have four sisters that I'm exceptionally proud of and, and exceptionally close to, and two of the older two, I'm in the middle, the older two were pretty clear on what they wanted to do and had gone off to Trinity and to art school to do that. And then I came along and I was like, I've no idea. And um, my dad um, was alive at the time and he was like, just do a business course. Just, you know, do a business course and that whatever. That was very much yeah. the advice yeah. that it was given. Like, it's kind of like, like two steps. A business yeah. course that was a grand for yeah. you. Like, yeah, you know. Set you up well. Yeah, and it was like, I was talking to my mum last night and she was like, yeah, sure, back then, sort of in the 1960s um, when she was working, she was like, yeah, you just went to the bank, you know, that sort of thing. Mm. So it was a bit like that. So he said, just do business course and you figure it out. And I've, again, no problem saying I did a woeful leaving cert. I, like, I passed it, but, and I think I got offered two courses. One was in computers, which is kind of interesting, but mm. at that stage, there was an account, there, the, pre, the precursor to Griffith College, Dublin, not many people might know, was called Bat College. It was business and accounting training oh, in Donnybrook. There we go. So there was a course which you paid for because it was an accountancy course. It was basically the foundation course you would do for the accounting technician, which is the UK equivalent of an accounting qualification in that sense. So it was AAT. And you paid for it because it was a private course as such, and you paid for it, and it was two years full time. Um, so I applied for that, and I got it, and or I got a place on it, and I started doing that course. And it was a very broad range, even though the name kind of implied totally accountancy. But we did um, a number of things, and uh, we did accounting. In fact, I hadn't even done accountancy for my leaving cert. I was going to ask you that. Did you no, actually no have no interest, have any interest, not at all, no interest, no aptitude, nothing. So there was a group of us who anybody who hadn't done accountancy for the leaving cert who had got accepted to this course was required to come in two weeks beforehand Mm -hmm. and to get like you know a full-on two weeks of accountancy you know intensive training which we did um, I'm just cringing at the thought. Of oh that. yeah. That just sounds like well, hell to keep me. that thought in mind for when what happened next because we did this course. It was really interesting, and I had some really great lectures. Um, not just women, but some really strong women mm-hmm. in um, economics, and I got to do business law, which comes back into my career later on. Um, we did obviously accountancy. We did computers. We did various different things, and in essence, what it was was it was the qualification in its own right, but it's what often people did. Um, to exempt them from the first year of the full accountancy. So okay. so if you were going to be a um, ACA certified, if you did this course, you got, it was a two-year course, which was a foundation, but you didn't have to do the first year of the exams. But I did marketing and economics and all of that, and business and we had great fun, and it was a great course, and I had really great lecturers and people in it. But what c- comes back to what happened at the end of it was we did our exams in the RDS I can remember coming out of, and I remember going into the exam, still kept saying to myself, debit, credit, debit, credit, you know, which side do things go on? And I came out of the course, particularly the one, because we did auditing and we did taxation as one exam, but we did accountancy, obviously, as one came out. And I just came out and I went, no, I can't. This is not what I want to be. This is not what I want to do. I don't want to work in this environment. I was, and at that stage, I was, you know, I was 19, but I pretty figured out I don't want to do this. Then and at that stage, I had already applied for lots of places with the postal strike, and then I got ex- and then I got job offer from the big one of the biggest accountancy firms in Ireland, mm. but not as an accountant, as a receptionist, and uh-huh. that's how I got. That's and so that was step one Correct. into PwC. Yeah. Had you known much about them before? 
Not really. Not not really. My dad had had some dealings with them in his working environment, so I had known the name Craig Gardner Pricewaterhouse, and obviously maybe we had known a bit about them, um, just as being a you know a rather large accountancy firm. But certainly didn't know anybody in there. Didn't know what what I was applying for was a receptionist because I had in in the previous year Dick, I had I had a few of the jobs. I was a lounge girl. I worked in the checkouts of Roach's stores. I worked from when I was sixteen. I've worked since I was. 16. Since I was legally allowed to work, I've had a job. Even when I was studying, then my parents made me give it up at night because I had to study more. But um, I always liked working and the independence of it all and, you know, challenging myself in, in that sense. But mm. um, I had worked a summer job, as all my sisters had done, in my dad's office, or th- the office that my dad worked in. He was a director in an engineering company. Mm. And I'd learned about telephones and is in telephony and dealing with more than one line and transferring calls and doing all that. And um, the first time I sent a fax, I forgot to take the staples out. And I can imagine the noise that made as it ripped through the pages. So I learned everything really basically that I needed to know when working in an office. So when I applied into Craig Gardner Price Waterhouse for a summer job as their receptionist telephonist because I had worked on in a phone that had more than that system had 20 lines the PwC one what's now PwC which I'll probably keep referring it to now it had 50 lines and it was a case where um you literally they had a front desk which was a reception desk and and you were the you know the first port of call and people came in but they also had a switch room where we were telephonists and it wasn't kind of like back to the 40s and 50s where you plug things out that's what everybody pictures but i did have a headset um, it wasn't that but it was probably only two steps on from that i had a headset i had my own display unit and i was connecting calls not exactly pulling in and out wires but pressing buttons to connect them Mm. because there was no direct dialing then and we had to we had to announce calls so if if the person was ringing for somebody who was a manager or above you held them and you announced them you found out their name and you announced them so this was but during that summer job which was the summer of 92 I was covering when people were on holidays and you know different things so I got to be a receptionist as in dealing in the reception desk and dealing with all things that were happening around that dealing with Tefli I also worked in their post room and for two weeks I was their tea lady and I had a tea trolley, and they. Um, this all sounds like madness. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't it? Yeah, that's what it was. A sort of an office environment yeah. that doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. So I wheeled around the trolley that from the floors that I covered, and they very graciously the guys in the post room put an L plate on it for me so and I and in the morning and in the afternoon I served the tea and the coffee and the biscuits and it was it was a very different time but not that long ago in the scheme of things but a very different time and that's how I got in there and working there and I technically left for about a week because towards the end of October I had to go back no surprise to anybody I had to repeat one of my exams my mm. auditing and tax exam so I had to, I worked right up until I could and then I technically left the firm in the in the sense that they said they would be asking me back to cover Christmas and I said oh that's fair enough and that I would probably come back next summer if I didn't have a you know a job and I still said I didn't know what I wanted to do um, all I knew was I needed to do it repeat my exam so that was I took the month of my plan was to take sort of three or four weeks in November off to go back to the, we could go to uh, classes to help us repeat and we were doing that a few of us and I was literally on kind of what I would call study leave or leaving to work and then I remember they rang me um, Craig Gardner rang me and they said oh we're wondering can you come in earlier than the Christmas or could you come in to cover um, 
a job or a, a role and I was like yeah but you know I'm doing my exam and they were like well what day is your exam and they said I said well it's on the 3rd of December and they said can you come in on the 4th and I did and I never mm-hmm. left and what they asked me to do yeah what they actually asked me to do was to answer phones in the library uh-huh. There we go. Here we go. Here we go. So I land into the library. Oh, what are you doing with the library? All I thought of was I knew the library because of being in there as a receptionist, and I knew the li- I knew some of the people not that well, but I knew Catherine, who was the person I was going to be replacing on maternity leave. That's why I always know Catherine's daughter is a certain age, or one of her daughters is a certain mm-hmm. age, and I knew other people that worked in there, and I knew that they had a library, um, but I had no real in interaction with it. But what they were saying was that the was that one of the members that the librarian there that she uh, Catherine was going to maternity leave and they needed somebody to answer phones, um, and really just help them out as assistant. So and mm-hmm. and I was classified actually as a librarian assistant. Eventually, that's what they had to because a lot of PwC at that time or Craig Gardner at, at that time and it still exists. There's an element of a hierarchy of structure. That's how they operate. That helps them to operate efficiently and makes everybody aware of who's the person to contact. So I had to be assigned a title. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of administration for the first year, but then I actually was kind of my letter, which I do have somewhere, um, when I eventually went completely over to the library, was as library assistant. But what happened was I went in and I met with the team in there, the people that were working in there, and I was told about I'd be answering the phone in the sense of taking messages for them, but also if there was a certain amount of administration tasks that the library had, I could do them and I'd be trained on them Mm -hmm. and um, all of that. And I'd say I was probably in there less than a week when I went, aha, this is what I want to do. Okay. Yeah. Knew fairly much really yeah I knew and what and I've no, and I've always said I I never thought I had a massive amount of curiosity in certain aspects of my life but when I got this chance and people would ring up and they say I need to find out x I love that mm. I love being set a challenge in that sense but I love the fact of when it's some particularly if it's something I don't know yeah like if for somebody says, oh, I really want to know, you know, or I need to find out who the current minister is for this or what form is revenue we need. And I think back to all the things we were asked to do when we were doing. And I was like, again, I'd have no problem saying, well, I don't know, but I'll find out. And, you know, that was nearly, you know, a standard line for me. I don't know, but I'll find out. Yeah, but and that's so much of what a library That's does. it. It's kind of it's like, expensive. Yeah. I don't know, but I know how to find out. I know. Or at least... Or at least I will find out how to find out, which was for me back then an awful lot of it because often that would mean me asking Nicola or Susan, who were the other librarians there, saying, you know, who were the real sort of people that ran the library and was like, "Um, I've had a call about this, I don't know, can you tell me? And more importantly, can you show me? Mm -hmm. Because if you show me, I am more likely to remember it I may have to ask you one more time mm-hmm. but I'm more likely to remember and also one of the big things that I remember um, and one of the lessons I've learned from that great team that I work with was to write everything down Yeah, literally because that's what I had to do partly because I was taking messages but partly because there was things that I knew I wasn't going to know a lot I wasn't going to know initially and in order for me to ask the right person or to find out I would always have to say well I'll get back to you but I had to write down what I was asked in order to then ask the person and get back to them and back then there was no email there was also no internet so I'll come to that mm-hmm. there was no internet there was no email we had a thing called office vision which was green screen so if you've ever played Pac-Man that's yeah. what it was like 
So we had no email, but we had this instant messaging, and it's kind of come f- f- full circle. So we had a nick. We each had and a little. And PwC at the time would have had probably been at the cutting edge of what was available I'm, in terms of. Um, I suppose, yeah. Technology. Yeah. It, well, in my world, it was, or where I felt it was, because back then, you know, it was Craig Gardner Price Waterhouse. So Craig Gardner would have been sort of the, very much the national, and kind of local clients and accounts, and Price Waterhouse was the international mm-hmm. uh, element of it. But of course, you would have had Coopers and Librand, which we ended up merging with in like 1998. But you would have had Deloitte and Deloitte Touche and different um, names of branding. But you would have had a number of accountancy firms that were well known and aware had a lot of um, technology and access to IT systems and things behind them and we would ha- we had a database of mm-hmm. and a catalogue and you know while we didn't offer or we didn't follow the sort of mark rules of cataloguing but we had our own indexation system we had our own taxonomy that we created or that one of our parents used and created and with Catherine and everything at the time before I got there so we had all of that technology and we had an, an email system in the sense of if you were to try and describe it now so there was a lot of technology um, that was really but it was coming on board at that stage at that time you know there was and I remember then what happened was so that was 92 and but of course Catherine was on maternity leave Catherine came back from maternity leave or that was on the horizon for her to come back and again, I was I had qualified, as in I got my exams, so I did pass them. And I had to make a decision, did I want to then go on to get really qualified or to get really professed as such an accounting and technician? You had to work in an mm. in accountancy environment, working with accounts and technicians, and I knew I didn't want to do that. So I was very grateful to have done the course, and I learned a lot from that business course, but I knew I wasn't going to pr- um, pursue that as a career. So I had to think about what I wanted to do, and, you know... I, I know I wasn't that young, but I was relatively young, and I just thought, wait and see. So what actually happened, because I have to say, even though I have, and I've actively looked for opportunities and I've seen them, but a lot of what's happened in my life has been looking just design. I fully admit that. So what I happened? Think so many people, that is. That's it. When I talk so, to people, so yeah. much kind of structuring and planning that you can do. Exactly. Some of it just is. I ended up taking a step in this direction and yeah. it opened my eyes to a whole set of uh, other possibilities that I hadn't thought about before. Yeah, and I found that, and I, and I know from the librarians that I've met and got to know and, and, have, my, and have become my friends and colleagues like yourself, mm-hmm. people have gone down roads they wouldn't have expected to because somebody has suggested something to them or somebody has suggested them to somebody else and a door has been opened. And that's very much what happened with me because when I knew Catherine was coming back obviously from maternity leave and I was like okay I need to start looking around I need to kind of not grow up but mm-hmm. I need to kind of take on some sort of full-time employment or else go back to, to, to college and at that stage I knew I didn't really want to go back working or back to college I wanted to keep working but what happened was because I had worked as the receptionist in the telephonist before one of their full-time receptionists was leaving and they offered me the job because okay. I was already trained and I knew the system. So I interviewed for that and I think it was a fairly easy interview because they really just, what they sort of was, they kind of employed internally for that role. And that happened. And I did that for nine, ten months. And I was like, you know, this is okay. I was earning money. I went to my first sun holiday during the <laughs> summer. I was still living at home and paying very little rent or whatever. But I was living and I was getting, you know, life experience. And that was really good. And I was, you know, you know, getting to know people within 
what was a relatively big organisation at the time, and it's really so big now. But, um, you know, all of that was going on. And then it got to kind of the sort of October, November of, of 93. And then I got a phone call from the HR people, and they said, well, turns out that one of the other librarians is going on maternity leave around November, December, and we're wondering, would you come and cover her maternity because you know the system and we've uh, we've sussed out with your department head and they're happy to let you go if you want to go but equally we'll have your job waiting for you when you come back and I was like oh yeah this is really good and at that time I had it in the back of my mind as much as I enjoyed being in the library I hadn't really pursued the idea of a library career in that sense and the the librarians that I had worked with when they were in there before their role was clerk librarian or whatever their role at the time they had come in through different avenues but I hadn't actually worked directly with Catherine but this time I was going to be in Catherine had done the library degree and she'd done everything and she was the librarian so I got to work with her um during this time and that's when I really really was like okay yeah this is what I want to do so I started to look into how I could do it but again it's back to I wasn't really sure I wanted to go back full-time working was there a way to do it part-time and then what happened is that um this person Nicola came in she'd had her she'd had her daughter and she came back and uh, for Christmas for the Christmas party and she came in to me and she just said I'm not coming back you should apply for my job. I'm not coming back. I'm agreeing with them. Mm. I'm sorting out what I need to do to come back or to not come back from a thing, but I'm not going to be here full time or I'm not mm. going to be here. And I said, okay. And I was a bit nervous about going. So I had sussed out about the course that existed, which unfortunately doesn't exist anymore, but it was in Trinity. It was the information studies course and it was yeah. part time. How long was that course? I don't think that course existed for very long. I don't think it did either. I think I was one of the last few to do it, but I know mm. that my previous colleague Susan had done it so I think it had certainly existed from the very early 90s maybe the late 80s and I think I I think it I did it in 94 to 96 and I don't think it's it existed by the 2000s so I think mm-hmm. it had a very short shelf life in the term of courses but she had told me she had done the course she had explained it to me and one of the issues was that you had to have had 12 months experience working in a library mm-hmm. but I was able to count use the previous experience yeah, so time it didn't it did, it, it, yeah. kind of no it didn't and they were very open to that so I literally went into the partner who was in charge of the library because even now there's always a reporting partner like a like a tax partner or um, a client partner who has the, the revolving role of being um, authorising for the library and I went to him and I said look you know I know Nicola's not coming back I want to apply for the job and I will go to college at night and I will do this to this. So we had an informal interview and I was agreed what I would do and that's what I did. So the following September, so September 94, I applied or had applied and I started the course and it was agreed that I would, I was going to pay for it, but if I passed my exams, they would reimburse me. Very nice. And that's what they did. Um, So I did that for two years at night, two nights a week and um, it was based in Trinity and it was amazing. I just, when I think back now of all the things, because we got to work with so many people, like the lecturers were librarians. Mm-hmm. The majority of them were. Um, they, were the, they were the leading people in, 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 in their field. Also, it was a very small class. It was about 12 or 14 people. And they were people that were from all over the different professions, academia, um, special libraries, government, the whole lot. But also at the time, 
because of my job, I worked a lot with the Trinity Library Information Service. So I knew all those people really, really well, and they were there at night when we'd study, or we'd have to go in, and we did a bit of a treasure hunt for one of our things. And one of our courses, I remember, we could do the exam, which would count for 100%, or we could do the exam and um, produce a newsletter, and that would count for 30%, and I did that, and mm. all the different things you wouldn't think to do. And, okay, we did study about cataloguing and classification and all the different ways of using cards and, you know, all the pinholes and all this historical mm. thing, and we did all that. But we learnt about this thing called the internet. And, that, you know, I, I think that was one of the first courses that really discussed about how the Internet had come about and the World Wide Web and what was the difference between the World Wide Web and yeah. the Internet and the wider elements of it. And, and then around the same time, PwC, maybe just a year before that, PwC, as it is now, got the Internet. But they only got it in one place, the library. And at that stage, we were yeah. called the Information and Research Centre. We had rebranded. It was called so the library. So that early on, PwC yeah. were focusing on the libraries being not just about coming in, getting books, absolutely, absolutely, but about being kind of an information hub, absolutely, kind of information technology hub. Yeah, and that was partly the reason why, and I think it was very much led by Catherine and and Susan, that it was seen it was more than just what this conventional view of a library can be. And it's interesting actually because quite recently, actually at the ASL, AGM. Um, the speaker there was talking about one of her first lines was I've never worked in a library right, yeah and I just went yeah. yeah and I was talking to Anna Sullivan afterwards and mm. I was like that's a bit like me and she goes no but you did work in a library and I said well I never felt I worked in a library mm. in the conventional set yes it had books on the shelves yes people came in and they borrowed them but because so early on when I joined there, it became the Information and Research Centre. And it is very much down to what you think yourself or what you portray as being a library. Um, when I really think of a library, I think of my public library down in Dundrum. Yeah. I think of my national school library, and I still remember the colour of the carpets. And I think of that little room, and there was a librarian, and there was a stamping of books. We never really stamped books in PwC because we had a library system that mm. we signed them out on. We stamped journals to say we had received them and we put the date that we received them. But it is down to, I think, you know, what you personally feel is a, li- is a library and equally what you feel is the name or the area of yeah. what you do in work. And I'm sure you've encountered that too. Definitely. That I think yeah. a lot of us who don't work in either academic libraries or public libraries feel that sense of I don't necessarily we're, we're sitting here talking in a library I know library and I love this space and it's, tiny, it's circular but, and it's brilliant yeah, <laughs> but I don't feel like I work in a library yeah yeah compared yeah. to say someone who works in a very large academic library or someone who works in a large public library because that's what the immediate um the immediate perception of what a library is yeah Um, for those of us who work in slightly kind of grayer areas where it is more sort of information management yeah and i always feel like you work in a library that's it there is that sense of like well am i am i and and the thing is when i was talking to Anne about it the other night i was like but i don't and we actually had an interesting discussion because like but yeah you did and i was like well i don't feel i did and then it was like it got me really thinking about what my perceptions were of what a library was and I always think when I come into a library like when I walk into the National Library or I walk into actually I kind of did a little bit when I came in here mm-hmm. my voice automatically gets quieter and I feel like I should be whispering and it's an element of kind of not religious revere but it's like I'm in a church or I'm in a place 
I never felt that when I was in the library in PwC because mm. it wasn't that type of environment. It was a room at the time. It then revolved when we became open plan and it wasn't a room anymore. But but it did have a front, it did have a door. So it was like a really, really, really big office, a long mm. room of an office. But it had it was a library in the sense of it had the shelves around the place similar to here. It had desks but not an inquiry desk. It didn't have a desk that somebody stood behind or was there. We all had our individual desks. Mm. And then we had reading desks that people could read the newspapers at. But to me, when I think of the National Library and the reading room there and when I've been in there, you know, nobody, like everybody, it's not just that you whisper, but there's a sense of place. It's about this issue of of place, of, you know, your sense of place. As much as I enjoyed all the years, because I worked there for... 18 years in the library in different locations but mainly that library I worked in there from 93 up to 2007 was the space we had there so fair amount of time that space was the library and then it became known as the information and research center what I really liked about it was people would come in and there would be conversation all the time mm-hmm. we never I only remember once and I don't think Catherine will mind me saying this once that she had to tell somebody who was really too loud to just stop talking mm-hmm. or to lower their voice because I think they were on a phone or something and she just had to say look there's other people working here but it was never a space or a place that you felt you had to whisper. It was a very inclusive place from the fact of, even though it had the door, the door was never closed. The door was always open. Mm-hmm. Um, also at the time, or certainly at the start of my time working there, we, in essence, there was a marketing person, but we managed the events as well. So we also managed the mailing list. We managed... Mm-hmm. Um, publications we did everything from that side and that's why I think around the 94 95 I think I still have as I said that letter where it it sort of offered me a role in the new structure or whatever it did but it said that it was the information and research center oh I have the communication around the fact that it was rebranding from the library because what we did in a sense because and it's back to what you were saying earlier is that there's a perception with the word library now that's my perception so that rests with mm. me or it's under people's but there is there can be a perception and what we realized was that to get beyond that perception and to really advertise more what we did it was you know we became the it got shortened to the IRC but it was information and research center and that's because while we didn't do a lot of primary research in the sense but sometimes we actually did and kind of by design we just ended up by it but it was mainly secondary research and we'd be using the librarians in trinity or we'd be sourcing material that have you know had already been published so in that sense um, and it was case law it was taxation it was audited accounts it was all the information requests that go through with um, an accountancy and taxation firm that then took on a legal Mm-hmm. aspect and that's when I went and studied law ah, so next phase of career <laughs> how long had you been there at that point when you'd kind okay of so I finished the library course or the information or the library information studies course in Trinity I finished that in 95-96 and then between you and me and all the people that listen to this I went and um, it's not very many people oh, I'd say it's thousands millions yeah. I decided to do at night a six weeks interior design course <laughs> not many people know that <laughs> so <laughs> let it get that secret. secret there I'm we go oh, which, but I love I interior love design interior design so I, I love, there's, there's this yeah. podcast called um, The Guilty Feminist 
Oh, okay. And at the beginning of every episode, they say, I'm a feminist, but, and then followed up with something that may be contradictory. Yes. So I think maybe we need to reduce an I'm a librarian, but. Because I'm always telling people here, I'm a librarian, but But. I don't really like putting extra books on the shelves. I'd, I'd rather spend my budget on electronic resources exactly because I have very yeah. limited space yeah. I'm sort of an anti-librarian I'm usually throwing I like, I, I I like that anti-librarian about. I think I might have steal that but yeah I decided I'd always my sisters and my mum and my dad would have known this at the time I loved redesigning my bedroom several times <laughs> and doing all these things did you ever have black walls? I never had black okay. walls I think my older sister may have and I know my younger sister she painted one of her walls red in her apartment was hilarious because then when she sold it it was impossible to cover it up but um, I liked yeah I liked changing things around I liked it's not that I was a big mad passionate about the colour wheel or anything but I liked the idea of and it's back to place your mm-hmm. sense of place and your sense of space um, I really engage with that that if I feel comfortable and I really enjoy having not what they call nice things and I'm not a big fan of the word nice in the same way that I'm not a big fan of the word normal because I don't think anybody's nice I don't think anybody's normal but um things that are pretty in the eye of the of the beholder but also practical or make you feel that what you're doing is that bit more enjoyable even if the task itself isn't that enjoyable I mm-hmm. suppose is a long-winded way and I have to say shout out to um Mags Arons Kelly who, uh, for introducing me to Moss Cottage down at Undrum where I could spend my entire salary every Saturday it's all these things and I'm sure I've tweeted about them and Instagrammed about them of I says I have this coffee mug that I love which says I'm really busy <laughs> I walk around with these things I really like uh, but it has very practical elements like it has books notebooks and everything you know I write a lot of things down I write notes to myself I stick post-its up around the place and if they are a little bit brighter looking or practical as in they have a space for your pen to slot into them that type of thing I love that because functional functional, but make but you know are in a range of different colors or designs are bright and brightness I do believe that not only colour but music sound space feed into how we work and to get not even to make us work in you know in a happier way but to help us working and help our sort of mental and emotional view of how we work if Mm. if you feel happy doing something well that seems to kind of come back around now to the approach that a lot of libraries are taking Mm. with design in their spaces yeah yeah that I receive had kind of big refurbishment yes, in the exactly. last few years yeah. and the user experience yeah. how people yeah. interact with and move around and experience the space that they are studying in or whatever it is that they're yeah. doing with the library that the, the starting point is now very much about mm. what what is the experience of you know, the person using this space exactly. how do we enhance that and exactly. how do we make the the space that they're in actually work for the purpose they needed to work for. But I also think that needs to feed into how the librarian or how the information professional professional or how the person that is providing the support their space as well. And you know, when when I worked in the information and research centre in um what was Wilton Place was where we were first and then we moved down to Spencer Dock in um, two thousand and seven. What I was like our space started to narrow over time mm-hmm. because when the firms merged in ninety eight space became a premium we became a bigger firm and we were losing space in space and then when we got to be involved in the design of our new building Mm. and when I say I was involved 
I had to go on a one day, I have to say this is another guilty secret, I went on a one day safe pass course to work on a building site where I had to learn about caustic burns and everything else. For in order to be allowed on site over the time of the building, because I was going to be going in testing the weekend we were opening up, I had to do this course, the same as Catherine had to do it as well I think. And um, I got to see the space being built and I'm very grateful for that for a few reasons one is that is that I can always remember and I've no problem saying this and I don't think the firm of mind is that when I walked in on the Friday of the um, Easter Bank holiday weekend back then it was a building site and it was being built in front of us it was being built around us mm-hmm. and we were I had to go in a test and system and we had been um, and, I'm, and I know Catherine would have really made the effort to get this and I think it was a really well spent effort to get the correct shelving for the books we got library shelving mm-hmm. in whereas the shelving that was in the old building I think it was just shelves it didn't look anything different this was library shelves thing that we mm-hmm. got in where it was designed to fit different sides of books the sh- it, it lived it up for the newspapers um, and that was already being placed in there and I was really feeling you know even though around us there was you know bits of walls not finished and they were putting in the stairs and but when I saw the library shelves in situ I was like oh my goodness this is an amazing space mm-hmm. I actually can't wait to work in this space separate from the the queries that I would get and every day would be very different you'd have a lot of administration stuff that would be the same but you'd always get the one slightly different query at least one a day so as much as I enjoyed the working there, working in that space was great um, because by that stage, we the building that we were, we were in, we were, the walls were literally kind of closing in. Mm-hmm. And one of those aspects of that was because we had taken on different departments and were doing different things more than what sort of a traditional accountancy firm would do. And one of those things was um, we had a legal services department. And that, I can't remember exactly the year, but you asked earlier, when did I do the course? So it must have been around... I think it was 96, 97 um, that, so I did the interior design for six weeks and then I kind of did a few months of just working, didn't do any study. And then what happened was they were setting up a legal services department within PwC, what is now PwC. And the partner who was in charge of the library was also in charge of the legal services team that was coming in or he was going to be the partner in charge. And um, they had hired a couple of solicitors. One of them, I always remember she was, um, really used the library a lot but was really helpful when we had queries back to her she was really mm-hmm. good and we ended up having a conversation and she said you know you, there is a course you can do it's a diploma in illegal studies and they do it in DIT in, in Angel Street at night and it's what a lot of people do right before they sit the kings in, in exams and I was like oh that's kind of interesting and you know I had done business law um, when I studied accountancy and I kind of liked it so I was like you know hmm that's interesting and then through a space of different conversations the partner came to me and said we'd really like you to go and do this course will you do it and I said well if you're willing to support me and pay for it then Mm. yes I will and that's exactly what happened so it was two nights a week and it was so intense and such a lot of information and even though I fully admit fully admit that I struggled a bit with my leaving search because there was so many subjects in it but and I have an opinion that the leaving search doesn't really represent what you know it's not it's not appropriate it's not it's not fit for purpose I yeah, don't think, I think the bit that I know about it and I'm not a teacher and I'm not a researcher really but it's not you know it works for some people doesn't work for others fair enough I would accept that view but um, when I went to do the information studies or for the for the legal course and it was all these different subjects but they were all around law but I got to do um, criminal law 
and I got to do constitutional law and tort law and business law and maybe it was because at that stage I was interested in it and I fully believe that makes a massive difference if you have a passion or an interest in a subject of course you're going to be more open to learning about it and putting in the work but I loved that course or I really enjoyed that course for the knowledge that it gave even down to succession law and land law and really quite detailed information but um, and then it made sense or it came practically relevant with the legal services and the law department because I knew what they were talking about I knew the terminology now again I could have made the decision to go on and do King's Inn but I knew I didn't want to be a lawyer I really really enjoyed being an information person so did that again make you sort of have to reframe where it, which direction yeah. yeah, here are a couple of options for me which yes. way do I want to go yes so what do I identify myself yeah. as like yeah. did you kind of identify yourself as I was the never yeah where I want to stay exactly exactly yeah and 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 around the same time with our IT department and I'll probably get the years a bit fuzzed up but um they were putting together different programs and there was a program called um the ECDL the European Computer Driving License oh, yeah. and they were piloting that so I was like I'll do it and um this is one of the things that um I'm I'm sure orga- other organizations do it as well or have that approach or that behavior but PwC has always had that or certainly I've always encountered it is that if you put your hand up for something or if you went looking for something to do something if it made sense if you were passionate about it if you had for want of a better word a business case for it Mm -hmm. I felt you would always got supported and I certainly always was it's not that they said yes to everything that you would ask for but if it made sense oh they would always listen and if it made sense and if they could see the value, not just for themselves, but beyond, they would support you in it. And Catherine was very much, she was my boss at that time and continued to be for a number of years. And I was very lucky with all the people that I've worked with and to and and for. If if I wanted to do something, if I had an interest in it, she would not only encourage me, but she would equally suggest things that maybe I wouldn't have thought of. Mm-hmm. And one of the things was... Um, and those people that know me, like yourself, and those who will get to know me through this, I talk a lot. I ramble. That's mm-hmm. what I do. And we were talking earlier off camera that I also talk in my sleep, and that's another story. <laughs> but um, that's another podcast. that's another podcast right that's there. But part of the reason is I um, I had a stammer when I was younger, or I had to put the fish name. I had a hesitation, and I still mm-hmm. get it sometimes. Um, where I would go to say the words they would be in my head and absolutely nothing would come out I would, they would catch my throat but it would be a stammer sometimes but it would be this hesitation and um, I've, I have a way and I'm doing it at the moment which you can't tell I'm sticking the nail of my thumb into the palm of my hand that calms me down and it helps me speak that's a little trick there for those people different people have different tells or ticks that they do that's what I do so if I'm nervous at all that's what I try and do I just kind of focus me down some people have elastic bands and snap them and things but um, when I was younger um, maybe it was because I had two older sisters two younger sisters I didn't get a chance to talk a lot um, but my parents realised that I had this um, issue and they were I think they were afraid it was going to impact further down the line and we had really honest conversations about it so they sent me to a class and it wasn't exactly an elocution class but it was actually poetry reading class but it was aimed for kids or for teenagers who were having trouble maybe expressing from a you know being able to speak and get all their words out and all of that I never really knew the exact nature of it but it helped but equally when I was working in PwC um I had the opportunity and I was encouraged to give research training or to stand up and speak. Mm -hmm. Now, by no means am I going to say it was really easy. 
it was horrible in the sense of my nerves. I would be, even though I would know my subject, yeah. I would be feeling sick beforehand and I still sometimes get get that nervousness. I would have a headache. I would be thinking of scenarios to get myself out of it, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And I was supported in doing that, but I got to the point where I realized I need to put my hand up to do these things. And it isn't it's very easy for me to sit here and go, "Oh, face your fears and do it." It's not that's just words. Yeah. You have to you have to yes, you have to do that. Sometimes you really have to put yourself in front of something. But you have to also know that you can get through it, but also just try. That's all I'd say. It's not, you know, you mightn't succeed all the time and I certainly didn't didn't succeed in everything that I did all the time, but um, to just let yourself kind of do it if you try and you mess up well okay you've messed up but you did try mm-hmm. or if you feel nervous and do it so people are generally a little bit more forgiving than you expect them to be exactly and especially if but also they don't know have done it themselves but also a lot of people don't know they won't yeah, realize they you think everybody can tell yeah. and they actually can't mm-hmm. or now once or twice I remember when I took on the new role which I'm sure we'll come to and I was speaking to a whole lot of international partners for the first time and I didn't know them at all but it was an you know it was a kind of new area that I was speaking on and afterwards one of them very kindly said because I was really I can still remember that room and I was really, really nervous and the hesitation did come up a bit he said to me afterwards I could tell you were really nervous but you did it anyway and I said yeah because I couldn't not do it like okay I could have like you know I could have maybe said excuse me I have to leave I feel ill or something and it wasn't like it was a kind of event I'm sorry I can't do okay, this do I, I have to go do I do a runner now <laughs> no. or do yeah. I just go ahead and do it exactly and usually something kind of compels you to go That's ahead it. and get on with it yeah and this was an internal event as well and I probably could have said to them oh I'm sorry my throat's really sore I can't do this or something but the nerves and I can still remember I can remember exactly where I was and the way I'm doing it and everything and I just remember just keep talking the silence and this is the thing and I'm sure some people that are hearing this will relate to this it seems like the silence is forever or the gap is forever before you say something and that's what happens with the hesitation Mm -hmm. you think it's really long and it's actually not but it is a hesitation or it is something where the words get caught and you just have to kind of internally calm yourself down or find a way to say the words or start the sentence and also again one of the tricks of my thing is that um certain words it's going to sound so strange but it's what i've experienced um i would practice certain words are harder to start with so it's easier it's easier if the word starts with a constant than a vowel (laughs) i know that's going to sound strange um but also um and this is where it comes around a lot funny is that when you'd be going around the table and I would find this a lot of when I took on the international role you'd be introducing yourself and my name is Aoife it starts with a vowel right so people would ask your name and you'd be going Aoife and I'd be going to, about to say Aoife and then I was thinking I'd be hesitating and I'd be like right I have to turn that around and um, as they say in the house of cards if you don't like the way the table is set upset the table mm-hmm. so that's what I did instead of saying when somebody asked would be so what's your name instead of getting stuck on saying the word Aoife I'd be like so my name is Aoife and S is very easy to say so my name is Aoife or uh, thanks or my name is Aoife and I found all these different ways around it and um, sometimes I still have to do it if I'm speaking to a group I don't know and it's not about not knowing your subject matter because I know my subject matter and that's sometimes I don't think we give and I mean this as an industry but also women in general we don't give ourselves enough credit we're damn good at what we do we know it we wouldn't be here if we didn't you know, and it's this whole idea of, I was at a conference recently where they said this, there was a scenario about the fact that there was a job 
offer and um, it had about 10 skills attached to it and um, 90% of the men applied for it even though they only had maybe 60 of the skills none of the mm. w- women applied for it because they didn't have all the skills yeah. and it's this whole idea now one, one of the people that was at the course made a really good point she goes well why would you want to apply to a job that you had all the skills would you not want to learn some yeah, skills and I loved that, that reply I thought that's really good you're right it's got to be something to grow into that's it I thought well that's a very good point but that's separate from the the fact that automatically we have a tendency and this is a generalization but we women I have found and I certainly I've done it we have a tendency apart from the fact that we have to, we say sorry a lot I've noticed myself I do it but we excuse ourselves a lot but we also maybe don't we don't speak out enough and when I had to deal with the bit about the stammer and that wasn't a massive thing and I know I'm making it sound like it was but when I had to consider what am I going to do to help myself get through this one of the things was put yourself in the situation more kind of face your fears do it anyway but also talk more and encourage more and do that for other women as well and there is this I read a lot about the fact of this whole idea of um you know stepping up or helping and stepping up or you know putting down the ladder as well as reaching up yeah. is you know being and in certainly in not room, pulling the ladder up not pulling you. the ladder in fact putting the lower the ladder down further but also there is there have been and i've read a lot about this on twitter and I'm, you've you've probably come across it because you're far more twitter active than i am but in but just in general you know in in different environments i'm sure others listening to this have come across this that in some countries, and I think particularly within the US, maybe in, in the UK, people have made, I'm going to say people, I mean women, have made um, an active consideration or an active um, approach that if they're in a conference meeting or a room or a call or whatever, and a woman says something and it's kind of ignored, and then two minutes later, a man says the same thing and it's all jumped mm-hmm. on with, what they do now to kind of avoid that, and I've done it myself not because the person has been a woman because I've done it for when people have, when, when men have said things too if something hasn't been heard or has been kind of glossed over and I feel it's important when I'm saying it I'll say as Laura just said or mm. as David just said or building on what David said or building on what Laura said sometimes we need to actively support each other in a very obvious way which I don't think we're great at doing maybe as a nation we're also not brilliant as um you know accepting our own um compliments or accepting our own ability because we always that's it we always feel and we're really like when somebody says you're good at something you're like you either a put yourself down going oh not really not really not really or else you go well now I used to be not great or everything is kind of starts with this kind of negative mm. and I think we're getting better at kind of embracing I and mean, it is down to confidence and it is down to but it's also it's down to acknowledging that there are some things that we are great at or better at but equally there's some things that we're not so good at and to hold on and say I'm not great at this like or and also I don't necessarily want to be great at it mm. like you know I'm not brilliant at doing certain things and if I really wanted to be brilliant at them I think I'd like I think I'd feel I would go and be brilliant at them or try and be brilliant at them or I would focus on them or or I'd learn I don't I'm not I'm not going to be great at everything that I do but what I enjoy doing and what I have an interest in and what my work and my passion is I do it's going to sound cliched I do want to be the best I can be at that not 
for anything else really but for myself and again that's not going to come across great when I say it but I'm engaged enough with the and that's down to ANSL and it's down to Ellen at 20 I with networks and with our profession engaged more in the last 15 years than I was before that but mm-hmm. um, and kind of seeing what other librarians do and I'm always in absolute awe when I talk to um, people like yourself but also academic library librarians um people that are in government departments solo librarians people that just drive things themselves people that take on so many things like um hello jane burns hello how many like you could run the world you know i am i am going to nominate you for president jane so just heads up but there are people that i've encountered um not just in just in the library profession but also within pwc um globally and kind of locally and i'm amazed not only by their passion but their energy and their energy for things even when it's not going great and I think that's the thing as well we don't often give ourselves credit for that we're happy to say when something is good and we're like yeah no this is great and I'm enjoying it when it's not good you know we're still doing it we don't stop so I know I've probably gone off the question slightly there but I'm trying to get the order of how I started doing things so at that stage when did you kind of take that that next step out of kind of the the physical library because you did then move Mm. Yeah, the role changed. In a slightly different direction. Yeah, so I suppose in the... So the nature of things was that we... The firm PwC merged with Cooper's and Ireland in 1998. And then... um, And at that stage, I had finished the law course, the legal course. And I kind of knew at that stage that I was happy enough with the studying and the course that I'd done. But there was a lot of change going on within the business environment. And our roles were going to change anyway. Um, But... An interesting point, and it just goes to show back to just slightly off point, was the fact of that the librarian profession, kind of like everything in Ireland, everybody knows everybody. But Catherine, Catherine Waters had actually left um, what was um, Pricewaterhouse back in, I think she left 94, 95, and to, to go to work for the Library Council. And then she had joined Coopers and Librand. So suddenly back in the merger, in the merge firms, Catherine became my boss again. And it was very interesting, and where that feeds into what happened in the future was that I suppose we kind of knew each other from working together, and then um, we had the absolute look and pleasure to get Florence Curley joining us. Um, And I can still remember Catherine, because we knew we needed somebody else, and this is back to the bigger question of things growing and changing. We knew that we needed somebody else within the library environment. You know, things were growing down to technology down to having access to the internet down to having how information was now being presented how it was being researched how we needed to research it how we needed to present it to our clients and when I say our clients I mean the internal staff because they were our clients we never dealt directly with clients but the but our clients were the were the staff of PwC so things were growing and we'd have more online resources and uh, we needed somebody else somebody who you know we'd always had maybe people helping us you know doing with different projects but we needed somebody full-time and I can still remember Catherine coming back from interviewing Florence and she just came into the room she goes we found her (laughs) that's all she said I said way we found her and then Florence started and then it grew and grew and what was interesting back to our earlier point is this physical space got smaller and smaller mm-hmm. but what we were doing and what we were involved in was getting bigger and bigger and then there was the merger and then well, around the time of the merger and all that had happened and then physically PwC as it was was in several different spaces we had an office down in George's Quay and we had a shuttle bus that used to take us up and down and the, libra- the library there was a library a physical library down in George's Quay and we managed mm-hmm. two libraries in different locations 
So all that was changing when we moved down in 2007 down to Spencer Dock. And it was this custom-made building, as I said, and that's when we had our library furniture. It was a great space to work in. And, you know, we were very much involved then with... Um, we'd always been slightly involved, but it engaged more there with what they call onboarding or when ex- people would join the firm. So giving a research training to experienced hires as well as graduates. We were really embedded into a lot of programmes. We worked a lot with our business development um, and marketing team but we were still assigned to the tax department for various reasons that historically made sense but over time you could see that was changing we were doing more we were we always worked we were part with what we call cross loss we worked the library or the information center as it was was for the support of the entire pwc practice including our regional office as well and we to mm-hmm. give training down there in cork limerick kilkenny washford wexford and but our roles were evolving and what we were doing the services that we were providing were changing but still keeping some of the old things as well so it was a lot of management and there was a lot more of you know um being aware of what was happening with the business world which was always something that we did but using resources and setting up news alerts and setting up mailing lists and setting up all these different things and then we created our our intranet which i was in charge of and then the role of knowledge manager came up so to put us all in back when I said at the start about there was a hierarchy or an element of assignment of roles that's the way PwC works so um, I was a consultant or an administrative I had various different roles for, for years and then in 2003 I was made manager and um, because they that was part of the promotion process you could only be so far and then you were made a manager or you applied to be a manager which I had done for a few years and I and that meant that okay it obviously meant you know you got maybe a bit of a salary increase and you got on certain distributions that you weren't on before but it was an assignment of your progression through the firm mm-hmm. and your development of your career so that all happened in 2003 and then at that stage we were moving down building a new building we thought we'd be down there by 2006 we didn't go down there till 2007 and then over time different things were happening and um but as part of um as part of taking on the role of being the manager uh, or getting the promotion of manager now Catherine was the day-to-day manager but Catherine was working part-time at that stage so I would be sort of be around full-time but I also became the knowledge manager for Ireland and that was another thing because that was coming into this whole this, these newer at the time buzzwords of knowledge management and information management and also where it was going beyond the shelves and it mm-hmm. was going of course we'd always used online systems but it was putting more I felt of a value on information management and knowledge management how that would um, work with our clients externally so it, it kind of took on a slightly different role because all the time we were dealing with internal events and developments and gathering of information but then information as a service as a mm-hmm. product that could be sold but as IP so and was all that, that something that the, the firm was very much yeah. beginning to realise yes. the power of exactly. information as a commodity exactly Exactly, and of course we'd always produce publications, but there was a wider then with the internet, but also with how things were managed and how they were produced, and also you know having access to systems and you know kind of like systems librarians as well, but also having it from the point of view of um, being able to sell the service, like the data and analytics that is that is um, so strong around now. That was coming to the fore a bit more, and also having. Um, knowledge management experts so not just something that you did 
as an aside to your other role, but mm-hmm. actually becoming a role in itself and pushing forward about the sharing of information among departments. So we always shared information within the library and even with other professions where we could and that, but actually looking a bit more beyond your own internal walls, but also out then because PwC is an international practice and it's, you know, it's, it's in 150 women territories and not more at this stage and they have a presence and they are a global network of firms. So in that sense, you know, we were dealing a lot, a lot with PwC the UK and PwC um, in wider Europe, but um, it was becoming more and more on the on the agenda, on the sort of the working agenda for PwC as a firm that this area of knowledge management of how knowledge was managed across borders, and it was given an element of recognition. But what was what I found really interesting was that we'd been doing it for years and we just didn't call it that. Mm. So this whole these people that think oh the role or the info, or this this knowledge management role you know that's a relatively new role in the scheme of things it's not. I'm not sure I really like the word knowledge management anymore because. I think we do more so more than that. I'm, you know, more, I've kind of circled back a bit to information management, but also about what I call content and, and collaboration. Mm-hmm. And as my LinkedIn profile says, I'm all about content yeah. and collaboration. So that's really where you mm-hmm. are now. Exactly. And, and that stemmed to that. So that has gone. And yeah. your current role then, what, if there is a way to describe what, what would yeah. be kind of the typical day or what, what would be the sort of things that you would be working on? When I go to actually think about that, it is a, uh, I kind of see it as a stepping stone of how I got there because mm-hmm. it started back in 2003 when I took a knowledge management role. But what happened was I was being involved more and more um, with local projects but international projects that were mm-hmm. happening. And that's how, as such, to kind of answer your question in a roundabout way, it was more about what was being done and what I was doing then defined the role or to find what the role was called so what happened was and um, you know a number of people will know this story it's no it's no secret is that at that stage I had you know been with the firm a number of years um, I was looking for new challenges within the firm mm-hmm. but also what had happened was in 2008 I decided to take a leave of absence not many people know that mm-hmm. but I took three months off unpaid and I went to work for a charity called Make-A-Wish yeah. and I wanted to do different well, things a very long mm. exactly at that stage uh, I was never great at sums so at that stage it was like 16 years and I kind of needed a bit of time out I got to a certain point in my career progression and things were happening that were positive within the firm but also I needed to look and see where I wanted to be and where I could see myself progressing and at the time there didn't seem to be the opportunity to progress where I wanted to be for various different reasons and I thought well I can either you know leave which I did consider doing and kind of look at other opportunities um, or equally I could go right well maybe I just need to kind of step back a bit and what I did was I apply I discussed it with Catherine and I said look I'm thinking of taking some time off extended time off I want to do a few things and she supported that Um, of course when I left in 2008 uh, I finished up on I think it was the first Friday in in October and I wasn't due to come back until the January what we didn't realise at that time was that Lehman Brothers was already really in trouble or things were starting to change when I came back yeah there was a seismic shift already oh my goodness so like you're talking to the person who back in 2008 used all of her savings to 
<laughs> to take three months off and do lots mm-hmm. of interesting things and work for a charity and do whatever and I'm very very grateful that I did I'm very glad that I did that mm-hmm. but when I came back in 2009 January 2009 it was a vastly different world we were coming into and we yeah. really didn't know what was coming down the line and it was a worrying time because you know jobs were changing worlds were going there was unemployment there was redundancy there was all these things mm-hmm. and I was sitting there going I've just blown my life savings I have to pay a mortgage what am I doing you know and all this sort of things but it also I found personally it got me really reassessing what was important to me and what I wanted to do so 2010 and 2011 things you know it, I certainly felt there was a case of don't rock the boat don't say anything just stay where put your head down like your bonus is on just hang just don't move you know don't at all just stay where you are no sudden movements there was this Mm -hmm. joke about the fact because you know within the within different environments you can get bonuses and you can make increments or you can do whatever and it's like your bonus is your job like you have a job that don't move like you don't anything else you know there was salary freezes there was whatever there was reduced hours and it was a real case of you know nobody flinched nobody moved it was Mm -hmm. like you know when you're faced with a lion and you're like don't you know just back off gently so so that brought me up to 2010 and 2011 but still it was in the back of my mind and then around 2010 2011 when there was kind of signs things were maybe not as bad as they had been but I started to think again okay what do I need to do and what do I want to do and you know I'm at a point in my life where do I want to where, where do I want to go with things and um again back to what I said earlier this look and design issue and I and I'm pretty sure Catherine knew I was probably considering looking around or considering mm-hmm. other options she could see that I was maybe yeah, I was, I was a bit and when I look back at it now in hindsight you know the way talk about the seven year itch with me it was kind of like a five year when I look at it between five and six years throughout my career something new has come up either I've gone looking for it and this is within PwC either I've gone looking for it or an opportunity has presented itself so I can still remember I was over the bank the, the sorry the Patrick's um, St. Patrick's Day weekend of 2011 and I came in on the Tuesday or whenever day it was we had the day off I came back in um, and I, there was an email from our now um, senior partner Fergal O'Rourke and he said look this role has come up internally it's an in, it's a it's a global role it's working with the with the global networks it's a 50% role just you know the the gist of his email was have a look at the attached I thought of you let me know what you think mm. And I discussed it with Catherine and we discussed it and I said, look, I am interested, I want to find out more, what do you think? And she said, yeah, find out more and we did that and um, that developed the fact of a very, very long story short was that um, our one of our global networks, our global international tax services, so known as Global ITS Network, um, had been trying for over a year to get um, a full-time or, or at least a a sort of a body or a person an expert in the area of knowledge management to manage their internal content mm. on our internal systems and um, because they had all this information be they opinions or be they publications or be they knowledge or proprietary knowledge and they wanted them to be managed in an accessible way across you know all the territories and they had all this information and they had all this expertise and they had looked at ways to use the tools that were out there but they realized that they needed somebody to really do this full-time or in this case 
for 50% of the time. So at the time, then I, um, I said I was interested and I, and they said, right, well, we'll, we'll put you the partner that I was supporting to then at the time, Dennis, and he's still my partner. He's like, okay, well, we're going to have a phone call with this person, Anya, who is my boss and also my friend, Anya Elmer, she's uh, German. We're going to put you on a call with Anya. You can have a, because she was the one that was working with the global network at the time for ITS and she'd been doing a number of aspects and had seen the requirement, seen the need for this. So she said, you know, we'll have a call, we'll have a thing. It turned out that was actually my interview and I didn't realise it. So it was very well done. I've always had kudos to that because it was an interview to an extent, but it was more of a conversation. And um, that then led to me meeting her and then, and but what it was, and this is where, you know, this was totally new to me, Laura. I had never done two roles in that sense. But what the plan was, I would work 50% for Ireland and 50% for this thing. Okay. But it had How to be, this is reality? the thing, the practicalities of this. Tricky. Oh, my goodness. This brought up whole different issues. So because I had worked in PwC for such a length of time at that stage, so that was 2011, so that was new, that was just shy of 20 years. Mm-hmm. Is that right? No, that's even more so. I can't remember. I started in 92. As I said, maths was never my strong point. So um, I'd been there for a long time, let's just say. People had got to know me. They'd got to know my extension or my number to ring. They got to know my email address. Um, you know, sometimes, and I'm sure other librarians have found this or other people within the information professional found this and even wider if that if you work a lot if you deal with somebody and you're dealing with them a lot they tend to just ring you then after that so they they won't information seeking behavior is i go and i get this person and they exactly so they may or may not know that there's three people in a team but they will ring you Mm. and even to the point that even if you've left they'll still ring you or if you've moved departments they'll still ring you so what what we realized at that stage um was that for this to really work as a role i had to have two physical separate desks mm. so i was working in the library so i had my desk within the library space the space that i loved and it doesn't exist anymore because the library structure has changed and it changed after i left but um and now they're more embedded into the wider areas of the business development and kind of marketing but there is a there is still a collection it's mm. managed on a different floor but but this love this space that i really enjoyed being the space that i really felt part of i had to i had my desk there but i had to have a separate desk hidden away um, up in a different floor because what was ha- the way that the information and research centre would work and that space would work is that okay people could ring you and they could email you but they could physically walk in yeah. so in that sense it is a library and sort of going back to that discussion I had with Anne I suppose yes it is a library in the sense that people can come into a space but it, but, um, it was more that they were coming into that space maybe a percentage of them were coming into that space to look at what was on the shelves but I felt mm-hmm. a bigger percentage of people were coming in to talk to the people there so coming in to talk to us so the risk was that if I stayed there trying to do this 50% role Mm. I would spend my time saying I can't talk to you I can't talk to you talk to Florence talk to Catherine I can't talk to you exactly and it would also be difficult on Catherine Florence because Catherine as I said at that time was part-time she was there in the mornings and then Florence was there full-time as well and it would have just we figured that the better way to do this was to split my physical time with my physical space location Mm. And that did work. However, and I, I'm not telling any secrets here, I felt at the end of it I was doing neither job correctly yeah, or fully. Yeah, I always think that about roles that are supposed to be you mm. know, two days a week to one thing, three days a week yeah. it's something else. I think in, in reality yeah. it's incredibly diff- difficult to 
just separate yeah. tasks to stop them bleeding into each other it's exactly really and the thing is what I found was as interesting as the new role was but it was a new role and it was I had a learning curve with it but also there was an element of travel to it and the way that it worked out at one stage we had it so that so that Catherine would be there in the morning with Florence and then in the afternoon I would be there with Florence and I totally believed that they ended up doing picking up the slack of things that I couldn't get done but equally I missed the interaction between the three of us mm-hmm. and I miss I felt that I wasn't I felt I wasn't doing as I said either job to the best of my ability even though things were getting done but I felt because always you know Catherine and 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 Florence and I would have been a part of that team we always felt we were looking for the next thing or we wanted to expand our service we were always doing things like most mm-hmm. librarians looking how to make ourselves relevant and it's kind of back to what you Eve Lotta was saying about you know the invisible librarian and mm. you know always looking for areas or yeah. we all do that I'd say you know I'd be I well I always say it's never 100% but I'd say 99.999% of us that work within the information area are always looking for other opportunities or other ways to it's not about making ourselves busier it's the opposite of that it's about working smarter it's about engaging more with the people that are using the service and finding out what they need to really answer what they want but also to be cognizant and I'm a big passionate about this about what's gone before because I think we're coming full circle on a lot of things now Mm -hmm. people are looking for information from years ago or scenarios are coming back um, digital humanities yes digitization exactly I kind of feel now having done a digitization project recently and kind of resurrected and kind of been mining a lot Mm. of old documents and yeah. the historical kind of knowledge content of the organization that it has brought it back totally to and I think we are and and I think that's the nature of those of us who have the vocation and I and I actually believe it is a bit of a vocation that we have we always look to the wider picture we always look to the bigger picture you know we we, we come at it from not only from us as information managers but we come at it from the user point of view and you know a number of people of projects that I've been involved in with MPWC over the years and I always remember one of the partners saying we want you to come along you won't be the person using this because it was a tax technical thing but mm-hmm. you'll ask the awkward questions you'll ask the questions about the system that nobody else will answer yeah. and I'd say he had spoken for one minute and I had my hand raised and I said well what does that mean when you do that and he was like oh yeah okay I come at it from the user mm-hmm. as a user as, in, as, as an, an information provider but also flipping it as I said upsetting the table a bit so with all that going on with the role and the things that we wanted to do I felt I wasn't doing it right and I did come to a bit of a you know a crossroads and I said you know I can't keep this up. I don't know how long this role because it was it was a fifty percent role that would be reviewed at the end of each financial year, which for mm-hmm. us is June. And though they'd save, they'd budget for the next year and that. So that's a lot of uncertainty. A lot of it. it. Now the thing is, is that I always had, and I actually still do have what they call right to return, so I can always go back to work full time for Ireland, but mm-hmm. or for PwC Ireland. But what actually happened was in the April of two thousand and twelve. So I'd been kind of doing it for maybe just around the year or so, the twelve months. Um, an opportunity came up that another of our tax networks wanted to have somebody similar or have the roles similar to what I've been doing for ITS mm-hmm. and it through the jigs and the reels of the way the, the networks were structured um, Anya got asked to do something and she said well you know if we're doing that I suggest we do this and in fact I think I know somebody who would do it along with her other role but what it meant was I had to step away from Ireland completely mm-hmm. so I had to go well 
technically it's like 80% but I do some some smaller projects for PwC Ireland and I'm still involved and I make myself involved I get connected to what they're doing locally because I want to keep my interest in hand in there but also mm-hmm. because that resonates across they're part of the network of firms so um, I got a phone call one evening and said can you have a conversation we're thinking of doing this would you be on board with it and I was like yes and I really felt very happy then because I felt okay not only did that meant that I really know now what I'm going to be doing and I can do it full time but it meant that Catherine and Florence were able to hire in somebody else to actually as in now it took time so like, that, like so most things do but that but that position filled. became free and they could take on somebody else or at least somebody else part-time or whatever way that it was going to work out they but they were able to take on somebody full-time and they had a few people in over over different spaces of years to do that because it meant that they had for want of a better word they'd lost me or the role was free as in the person that did that role which was me had gone from that role to another role and again a long-winded answer to your question my role then became I was um, the knowledge manager for global ITS and global M&A tax networks and that's what I was back then mm-hmm. and that continued um, up until about early last year maybe it's just a little before so kind of around 2015 but the start of 2016 was when things changed again really really for me and I started working more with the with the global tax networks and markets so ITS and M&A just a, a little bit of the hierarchy of the structure ITS and M&A tax are two of the nine networks of PwC globally that they have within tax so you know there's transfer pricing there's P&O which is people and organization there's VCT there's all these technical there's TRS there's various different um, tax divisions or tax products and tax expertise that have their own networks within the global tax networks and markets they're part of the services that PwCD PwC do but what was but overarching that is sort of the global tax networks and markets and we would do a lot with tax marketing and different teams and what was happening when I had the previous roles was myself and Anya were coming up with initiatives for the two networks that we were working for and with and we were suggesting them to other networks and then other networks didn't always have people like us we didn't have an equivalent or if we did they maybe weren't full-time so we were coming up with efficiencies and come up with systems and at the same time shortly after I took on the role the role for RTS they they were designing our new internal kind of social networking system as well and I was a part of the working group for that and different things were coming up that made us realize that you know um, over time and again it's a little bit about not standing still but also I've no problem standing still if it makes sense to stand still mm. if that's if that's because you're never really standing still there's always something going on around yeah. you and as I said before we always look for things but equally sometimes in order to really push yourself or test yourself you do need to put yourself out there and you do need to look for other opportunities sometimes the opportunities come knocking sometimes you have to go looking for them in this case then opportunity kind of came knocking but we'd been kind of looking i've been kind of looking for it as well but it sounds like throughout the process of all of your various roles Mm. in pwc you've been kind of taking the step into the direction that yes. you were then going to be yeah. in anyway. If looking at it in hindsight, it was a map that I had formed, but I wasn't realised I was kind of forming the map. And part of that was, I always think it was only last year, but it was actually the year before, um, I knew myself with the onset of social media. And it's and I've skipped entirely, but I'm sure we'll come on to it, my whole involvement with ANSL and being involved in the professional mm-hmm. committee and joining the committee and being treasurer. And but also... Okay, this is where now I have to start and think about that. So 
I think it was around 2007, 2008, when I'd, I'd had an interest in or an involvement with LAI through, again, through Catherine. Catherine Waters is the treasurer for the LAI for, I think, about a quarter of a century, though it probably wasn't that long, but it seemed that long. But she was heavily involved. But she encouraged myself and Florence to be involved and supported us being involved with the LAI as a profession because part of that was um, for our own CPD, for our own development, because we were a service and we were a unit within an accountancy firm. So in a sense, we needed to look for our own training, for our own CPD, for mm-hmm. our own, even down to our salary reviews and everything. They didn't have the information there. We had to go out and provide it for yeah, them or I mean, give them to them. Exactly. So that got encouraged. Exactly. So Catherine was our kind of window into all that and encouraged our involvement. And I did help out and work on a project with the LAI, but I'm trying to think back. I know I stepped down, I think it was 2013 when I stepped down and I was on for six years so, or seven years. So sort of working it back, when I got involved with the, with the with ANSL, what happened was ANSL, I'd been obviously at a couple of their seminars, mm-hmm. um, Anna Sullivan, um, Katrina Sharkey and Anya Kerry were the ones that I really strongly remember having a massive effect on me and particularly uh, Katrina and Anya and particularly Anya in this case mm-hmm. was one of the reasons that I actually got involved or wanted to be involved because it was it, she's such a dynamic person but also her interest and, and her passion and that was feeding into things and I thought oh, I really like want to be involved with these people but also I felt I could learn so much from them but it was a connection through to the library profession which mm-hmm. I didn't have in my role not to any fault of anybody it was just I felt I didn't have that connection so um or the kind of networking so I'd been to a number of seminars and of their conferences and things and then it came up about the committee and there was a space they were looking for people mm-hmm. they were there was a bit of not only changing of people on it but they were expanding out the number of places or there was the possibility to do that and I remember, you know, getting asking Catherine, and she was very supportive of it. And she signed, I think, my nomination form, and we went through. And I remember going to the AGM, and there was four of us that stood up that day and said we wanted to be part of it. And we reached the quota; there was nobody else, so we kind of got. Suddenly, we were on the committee, and mm-hmm. one of the people that I met at that time was Max, was Max Aarons and mm-hmm. our, um, Max Kelly at the time. And um, suddenly, we looked around, and we'd been second to nominated. And I fully like there was myself. Did Jane join at that time? I think she did, or maybe she'd already joined. But yeah, but um, anyway, there was four of us that, that that stood up, and suddenly we looked at each other and we went, "We're on the committee!" Like as of people raising their hands, mm-hmm. and it all seemed very real, very quickly, and it was brilliant because um, yeah, you had to make the time to go to the meetings. You know yourself from being on it. You know there was more work than you originally think there was yeah, going to be. You don't realize. You just don't. I'm not saying that in a kind of sanctimonious way. There just it, there just is more work, but they. But what I loved or really enjoyed about it and, and what I miss about being on the committee is the banter and the discussion but also when you go to organize something the energy behind it mm-hmm. and the clear passion and everybody has their roles and through that role I had the opportunity to finally use my accountancy and tax yeah. experience because I became treasurer and I'm happy to say I left the account I got the accounts in, in good order and I returned them in good order okay. so that so was for two years I, I only was, got back got into the accountancy and tax got you know and I 
you know, when, when I said, when somebody said, you're going for it as treasure, and everybody was like looking a bit shocked a and no, exactly. And I was like, yeah, because, you know, I can, I, I felt I could do it, which, and I could do it, but it was something different, but it was something that I felt I could manage around the work and the travel and all that. But what actually happened then was by the time, and I also was project manager once for one of the conferences, and I really had to ask for help at one stage because what had happened was my role was changing because of the new role, this mm-hmm. global role that I took on. And things were changing rapidly when that in the amount of travel and I was missing meetings and I was miss and I and it's back to this whole thing of not feeling you're doing your job as well as you want it to be and feeling that even though nobody was giving out to you or telling you that you weren't doing it your personal view or your own your strength you felt yourself you weren't doing it right so I stepped down from the committee um, and that was a massive decision and again I know that sounds very dramatic but it uh, was a lot of soul searching to do that because mm-hmm. I had stepped down as treasurer but stayed on the committee and which I wanted to do but then I realised I can't do this and do it to the way that I want to do it but also I felt I wasn't as connected to it or I couldn't give it the couldn't give it the the sort of the respect that it that it needed and and deserved so I stepped down in 2013 but thankfully have been kept as as much things that happened and this is to circle back to the whole issue of social media so I can remember we organized a quiz as part of ANSL to to as a networking event we mm. did it I think that was around you know 2010 we were doing quiz and I can remember we um, got questions from lots of people and we put the idea together and I think it was only the first time the one time we did a quiz but came was it came up as you were at that quiz. quiz yeah and it was at that quiz that I created my Twitter or I just created it just before my Twitter account because Mags and somebody else had said about Twitter you should be on Twitter and I was like ah no I don't think so and I started to look at this and I can remember being totally fascinated with the fact so but I was I'm again I'll be quite honest and some people that will listen to this um, will may remember I went a bit um, hidden I was library gal was my Twitter oh, yes. ID I and I, a, a set of purple boots were was my avatar type of thing, and I, because I was really unsure about it, and I never really engaged with Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. I was kind of for a while, but I've never, I haven't been on it for years. I never really kind of got that beyond sending pictures, which I felt you could do anyway with people, but I never really got the got the value of, of Facebook. I just don't think I'm that kind of target audience of it. But, and um, I was a bit nervous, and I again no problem saying it of what. Twitter was, what its function was, did I want to put my face to it, you know, how would this work professionally, all these questions. And then when I got more familiar with it, but I was lucky because through ANSL, I found out how to use Twitter correctly and through the library community like um, Mish Dalton and all the people telling us or people informing us or sharing with us how to use Twitter the right way or to at least be aware of things like privacy settings and all of that that I kind of got familiar with it and I went hmm okay and then I became myself on it as in I put my own name to it put my own face to it realized that you can use it it is social business it's social media it's social business realizing that it has an impact you know you can use it for lots of reasons and lots of benefits also being very clear in my profile as people know that the views are my own they're not pwc's views but also seeing an seeing an opportunity to use it or to help promote the work that pwc do and and to promote the experts within pwc Mm -hmm. but equally realizing i wasn't an expert on it so i sent myself back to college and I did a diploma in digital marketing and strategy and i did that in 2015 and that was 
a number of years since I'd been uh, you know going to college at night and when I came up with the idea I was literally going to say it to nobody um, it was around 2014 I'd, I'd looked into all the courses and I'd considered it and I'd looked at the marketing institution and I'd looked what other people were doing and kind of surreptitiously checked and said mm, you know is this a good idea will I tell people will I not and I actually wasn't going to say it to anybody but then because I knew I'd be tra- the courses were at night and I knew I would be travelling for business and for work and that I decided to say it to my boss I said look you know I really want to do this course it may turn out because it was on a Wednesday night or no it was on a Tuesday and Thursday or Monday and Wednesday it's it's it could be that I might have to miss some meeting or I might have to miss a call or a meeting because I work in a global role my calls can be any time between half six in the morning and eight o'clock at night depending on what's going on mm. um so I said I may have to kind of juggle things around and you know she um she was straight away not only immensely supportive of it but she said we are going to support you doing this um I I, I suggest you do this this and this and we'll put a note together and we'll send her out and we'll let, and it wasn't about the money about paying for the course because I was quite happy to do that myself it's more about the recognition of the value of doing the course and by doing that they understood then if I had to miss work or not be able to go to an event or mm-hmm. had to postpone a call or do something because I was going to class and now there was one or two lectures that I did miss because I had to go to, or I was travelling abroad like to New York or something like that and I couldn't dial into it or I couldn't whatever but they supported me doing it it was a really difficult course in the sense that I found it quite challenging after about three or four weeks for the first two or three weeks I thought this is a doddle I can do this because you're you didn't have an exam your project was your exam and you had to come up with a business plan or a marketing plan from cradle to grave and I thought oh I can do this and all the notes are online and you can do whatever and when you got down into it and I was like this is difficult but I put in the time, put in the hours, and I was, you know, really happy with the result that I got. Got the course and got the accreditation and everything. And but what it got me thinking about was because I had always, as well as have my own Twitter account, I had set up a library events account, which was more to share events. It wasn't really for me to produce content. It was more sharing out what was happening with the librarians, and that expanded then into librarian links, which goes through. Um, ebbs and flows of quiet and then me retweeting and doing a lot of things and it's you know I always I do have these ideas first and I have it on my ever revolving to-do list Mm. to do spend more time in it but the course has given me more of an awareness and a consciousness of the time that it takes to do things to do them right and equally the course has impacted on what I do in my PwC role of again it's back to the awareness of the user but also things like um, how Twitter can be used, how LinkedIn can be used, how you can connect LinkedIn and Twitter together. Um, obviously now we have Instagram as well, um, but how searching is done. Back to Boolean when we learned about Boolean operators yeah, and so all that. Bringing all that. It all comes in. Back in. Exactly. And I did that course and I'm very happy I did it. And it's, it's, it's got to a point now where every now and again I think, hmm, I'll go back and do something else. And I can't understand how I had the time to do that. And now I, you know, I'm searching for time a lot to try and do other things um, with work. And work since the start of last year, as I said, I took on a new role, which is this content and collaboration role for Global Tax Networks, which is very much what I don't call them initiatives because that sounds like they're going to end. There, um, it's there's there's a lot of change management now to what I'm doing. It's um, 
behavioral led and it's a change management project um which that's that's probably what i'm spending about 90 percent 80 to 90 percent of my time on i'm still supporting one of the networks the MA tax network and i still actually produce a brochure twice a year for our global r&d network so i do i've kept some of the roles that i can do to be practical with my time and that's the other side of it is that um, and again this may sound slightly cliched but PwC have always been with me and I think with many others um, very supportive of doing other roles but also realistic they don't expect you to be to work 24-7 in fact they encourage you not to do that mm. and that's been a part of you know as our culture has evolved and changed and I think we're a very diverse and very open organisation if we weren't I wouldn't still be working here 25 years later so I stand up for what they what they support and we do again it's back to being it not just words but they would I always remember somebody saying to me uh, you don't nobody needs to be in an airport at half five in the morning now okay sometimes I've had to go to the airport to check in or do whatever but you balance it out it is about balance it's about doing the work of course it is you're paid it's a business it's bottom line I'm not but equally I'm not unfortunately which I would love to do but I'm not curing cancer um, and as um, to quote and steal from Jane Burns, it's not fucking Shakespeare that we're doing. It doesn't have to be amazing. <laughs> it have to be perfect every time. But you have to be passionate about it. I believe I need to be involved in it. And to do that, you have to put in the hours. There's times that I put in more hours than others. And there's times that I may be more engaged than others because of different things going on in life that happens. But PwC has always supported me in that. Um, they've seen me through my 21st, my 30th, my 40th. And <laughs> they've seen me through births, deaths and marriages of, of my family members. And they've always been there. But in the basis of census law, it's bound to when I find when I can talk about my role. And it is hard to quantify my role. And I probably haven't done that. So apologies if I haven't done that. I, again, it's back to the fact that I can't put a label on what I do or I don't think I fit into that. But I'm okay with that. I'm okay. That's a good note to end on. <laughs> I, I don't like the idea of putting too many labels on things either. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you for doing this. As uh, you can probably tell. Thank you tell, very much for talking. No problem. I can probably tell I was a bit nervous and I did ramble on. <laughs> I can't sorry. imagine how long I've talked for. But it was. it's actually very interesting to think back on the role I've had and think back on what I've done and all the people that I've met and as I said I am the sum of my parts but I'm the sum of the people that are in my life. It's a very nice way of putting it. Thank you very much. Eva. You're welcome. Big thanks to Aoife for such an open and honest discussion and for sharing um, her experiences. Librarians Allowed is produced and presented by Laura Rooney-Ferris. Music and editing are by Michael Ferris.